Hello and welcome to Smoke and Burn. I'm Casey Gresseth and today I'm joined by Director of Sales for Smart VMA in the Eastern U.S. and Canada, Rob Leary. How are you doing, Rob? Good morning, Casey. I'm doing terrific. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, we were just talking a second ago. I think I think Kansas has had a little lighter go of the Corona deal than you guys have up there. Is, is it a little tense up in your region? You know, um, yeah, it's still tense in terms of, you know, everyone is still under, you know, shelter and in place, uh, you know, uh, order, if you will. Um, but, but we've done a really good job, you know, back in, gosh, it's been almost a month now where our governor closed down all of the bars and restaurants. And, uh, when he did it, he said Sunday night at six o'clock and it's, uh, and it's Sunday morning, and uh, sure enough, uh, Sunday night at six o'clock or nine o'clock, rather, all the bars and restaurants were closed, and they haven't been open since. And everyone's done a great job here in Ohio, and um, really, um, you know, just being smart about you know when they need to be out and about, and uh, really only for necessities. Right. Yeah, it's a weird environment right now, for sure. It really is. Now, but it's, uh, I think it's bringing the the country together. You know, politics aside and everything else, uh, I think it's done a great job to bring the country together. It just shows our our strength and uh, our ability to uh, to handle anything. Yeah, absolutely. So, Rob, you've had a you've had a long career in the sort of the technology side of the dealership industry. Can you kind of walk us through your your career path? Yeah, sure. So, um, gosh, it's, I was just thinking about that. It's been over 30 years. Um, when I started with Reynolds back in 19, God, was it 89, 90, you know, after that many years, you tend to forget. Um, and yeah, started in, um, Sioux Falls, South Dakota of all places, uh, as a account manager for Reynolds and Reynolds. And then they promoted me up to Minneapolis and I, uh, had a territory in the twin cities there. Um, and then, uh, then they brought me back into uh, a marketing assignment after about six years in the field as an account manager. And then I ran our marketing and retention for our, um, our main product line, our main DMS, which is called Era at the time. Later, it's been called now Era Ignite. But uh, anyway, ran that for a couple of years. And then, um, and then I took over uh, a really cool business called the Electronic Parts Catalog Business. And we were a distributor for, at that time, a company called Bell & Howe, which turned into ProQuest. And then, um, gosh, I can't even remember, uh, Snap-on, I think, now owns it. And then somebody else owns it now. But long story short, I ran that. And, uh, man, that was a huge business, about a $52 million business for it. Um, and, uh, and that went really well. Uh, and they gave me uh, two of our other uh, distributors that we that we came in contact with, which was Mitchell and CCC Body Shop Systems. So I ran that business for us uh, for a few years, and uh, and then I took over our service price guides business, which was down in Tampa. That was kind of the you know the, the engine or the power plant of all of the fixed operations for Reynolds. It was how we priced all of our obviously all of our labor. Or, uh, parts pricing, repairs, maintenance, uh, express services, and the like, and then, and then um, had an opportunity to really take over the entire fixed operations from a, a product and a marketing perspective. And I ran that for, gosh, five years, I think six years, and uh, 
And then the president came to me and said, hey, we'd really like you to, to take on a specialist role and run your own sales organization. And so I had dotted line responsibilities for product and marketing still, but had my own sales channel. And uh, they were all fixed operations specialists. And I had probably about 15, 16 people, both internal and external. And, uh, and we specialized in, in really helping our dealers you know, better achieve their goals around the fixed operations to drive what I call the four pillars in, in fixed, which is uh, sales, uh, profits, uh, retention, and CSI. If you, if you aren't driving any of those, all four of those, then really nothing else matters in fixed. And, and that's what we did. And uh, it was a heck of a ride. And then, you know, and then things happen in life and, uh, you know, companies change and organizations change and our presence left and and so it was at that time just you know time for me to to leave and um and then i i took a, a a brief stint with a company called oec a bunch of my old reynolds uh teammates uh had left reynolds and had gone there and invited me over and uh, it was it was a great company just not the right fit it was a uh, more of an oem driven sales uh environment where you know your sales can take gosh anywhere from two years to three years. And, you know, when you're dealing with a transactional based business, like I was at Reynolds, especially in our fixed operations area, you know, my team would have sales, you know, probably three or four or five a day. And, um, and I went to a, you know, sales environment was just, you know, way too long for me. So fortunately I ran into uh, uh, Peter Burlow at a JLR, uh, JLR conference. Uh, I think it was, it was either San Diego or, or Miami Beach, anyway, um, and uh, ran into him, and he and I stroke up a conversation, and uh, and it was odd, Casey, that, it, I mean, just, you know, God works in mysterious ways, I think, and uh, on my flight out to the Jaguar Land Rover conference, um, I got a call from your dad, Darren Gresson, and uh, I'm like, hey, Darren, how you doing, man? I'm like, I'm getting ready to hop a plane, you know, I'll call you when I land, and he's like, okay, just think about this for on your on the plane ride. We need sales trainers, and I think you can help us. So anyway, that was kind of in my mind, and landed in 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 um, Miami or San Diego or wherever I was, and uh, and literally as soon as I landed, I walk in that hotel area, and there's Peter Burlow, and so he and I st stroke up a conversation about what's going on with BG and AutoNation and the growth of VMA and, you know, um, literally probably a month later, um, pulled an interview together with Peter and, and, uh, Darren and Ron and, um, anyway, and here I am. So, and that's 30 years and two and a half minutes. <laughs> Man. So you were with Reynolds for a long time then. Was that a little, was that a little scary making a jump when you'd been with them for such a long time? I was, it, I mean, it, it, you know, it was, it was something I, I just, you know, had to do. And, you know, a lot of my friends were leaving and, and really when the, when our president left, that was kind of the last straw for me. It was really, I don't want to say imploding because it didn't implode, but we had lost so many customers. We went from 10,000 down to gosh, I think below 5,000 in a matter of oh, eight, 10 years or so. And uh, you know, it just, it just became, you know, not something that I wanted to be involved with anymore, but, uh, yeah, it was 20, 20, 28 years. Wow. Yeah. You know, 
I think so. I started in 2009 with BG, you know, and went into dealer territory in Flint, Saginaw there. And I think I was there in the middle of that shift, you know, because I remember when I first came on board, everybody in my territory, by almost everybody was on Reynolds and Reynolds. By the time I left, I mean, it was uh, maybe 30% of the stores that I had up there. And there was so many players in that market all of a sudden, you know, it was dealer track and Arcona and, uh, you know, ADP at the time. And uh, you just saw dealers going a lot of different directions there, especially during the recession, you know, everybody was trying to pinch pennies. Yeah. That kind of became the catalyst to, to really, you know, I think dealers began to, to really think about it. You know, why am I, why am I spending all this money? And maybe I need to rethink my strategy around my DMS. And, you know, I think that's where the, the losses really started to add up for them. And, you know, it's unfortunate. It's still a good company. I still have a lot of good friends there. Um, still like the owner, Bob Brockman. I think he's a, you know, a genius of a businessman. A lot of people don't necessarily agree with his ways, but, you know, a few billion dollars later, it's hard to argue with. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think, um, you know, from just what I've seen in the past couple of years here in Kansas, it, it almost seems to me like CDK might be in, you know, on the cusp of a big change like that. Yeah, they they certainly have, have been struggling. Um, you know, when they, when they were first um, dissolved by the parent company, ADP, which is really their primary business is payroll. Um, you know, that was a big shock and I, I think they struggled to find their way, but, but, but candidly, I, I think, I think, you know, they've, they've done some things lately. Um, Fertella is their, um, their new development software that is, um, they're really opening up their software, albeit they're going to make some money from it, but where, you know, they're now allowing third parties like BG to be able now to, um, right to the actual repair order. And, you know, that's going to come at a cost, you know, it's, nothing is for free in this world, as we all know. Um, but they, they've, you know, they've made some interesting uh, turns. And uh, I think that, you know, from a market perspective, I, I think they've been able to hold their own surprisingly. Um, and um, because candidly, I thought, I thought they were going to implode and they did not. So they they they've held their own, and I think this new this new mode that they're they're going through in terms of um, I think it's called Fertellus uh, software again, which is a third party integrator, um, is going to allow them I think to retain their customers better. They got some interesting strategies around that um, that that make a lot of sense in terms of you know if you're a dealer and you're on our DMS platform. I think this is the way it works. By the way, um, if you're on our DMS platform. Um, and you want these other third parties to play, you know, then, you know, we'll provide you with some additional incentive if you sign a longer term contract. So they have, they have really thought through this and I think they've got some interesting strategies going forward that, um, that I think are going to make them a formidable player in the future. So who do you, you know, you get to see so much of that DMS world in these dealerships and stuff. And it seems like, you know, every couple of months, there's a new one that pops up that I've never heard of before. Like who do you, mm-hmm. who are the, the, uh, 
the contenders that you think down the road are probably going to own a big percentage of the of the market? Well, certainly dealer track, you know, with their gosh, you know, with the size of Cox Automotive now, I think, you know, I think they will be the the formidable and future number one. They aren't there yet, but with all of the, you know, support and different businesses that surround that business, I, I just don't know how they can't succeed. Um, so I, I believe they'll 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 become the number one DMS provider. Um, you know, they need to get their their application DMS um, core in order. It's it's still got some, I think, you know, development difficulties there, and I, I know they're trying to work that out, but. Um, they can bring that into par and then, uh, and then be able to have all the suite of applications that Cox Automotive has and be able to, you know, better integrate those in. I mean, I think they will be the, the force to be reckoned with, but then there's, you know, um, um, who was it that Ar- Arcona that was just bought up? Um, I believe so. Yeah. By, by, um. Was that bought by Dealer Track? I can't remember yeah, which yeah. one of them. No, no, no. Okay. Um, that was bought out by a fixed operations company, a dealer socket, I believe. Okay. Uh, I've heard that name before. Yeah, teamed up and, and bought them. I'll, I'll, you know, it's horrible. I need to go back and research that. I, you leave that marketplace and and things begin to change and you, <laughs> you got to stay up on it. But yeah, there, there's yeah. a lot of changes happening there. Some uh, certainly some some DMS providers. Dominion um, is one. Um, the Microsoft application. Those you know a couple of those companies that I thought would be players in the marketplace. You know here we are five six years later that they've been in the marketplace maybe even longer and haven't been able to make any movements. And it just it it just goes to show Casey that you know it it seems like it would be an easy easy market to enter. But the reality is this is a very complex industry. You know, you, you think about an automotive business and it's really, it's really five or six separate businesses all built into one supported by a back office or a business office, if you will. So you got, you know, you got accounting parts, sales, um, uh, and, and sales is really three different departments in itself, new car, uh, used car, and, um, and really, you could, you could even say certified uh, if you wanted to. And then, of course, service and body shop. And so it's just a very complex business. And then you've got all the communications that you have to do with the manufacturers around the ordering of vehicles, the delivery of the vehicles, the warranty of vehicles, the parts ordering and all of that. And, you know, there's a there's there's a lot of franchise agreements that you have to be involved with. And then as a DMS company, you've got to be able to integrate all those functions and features into there. And then the, the OEMs in and of themselves will only allow certain companies to come in and actually have that type of integration to them. Right. Cause that's a cost of business for them as well. So, so a lot of complexities around that market. And, uh, and that's why you have only, you know, really five or six players in the marketplace that we have. And, you know, um, a lot of people say, well, why didn't Microsoft succeed? Well, because it's complex <laughs> and, it, right. and you know, why isn't, uh, why aren't some of the big um, ERP players coming in? Well, because it's complex and it's finite, you know, it's, 
if you look at our, our dealer population, you know, we've really gone from, um, 20, 23, 24,000 dealers. And then when the recession hit, we lost, I think 4,300 at the time. And, you know, now we're down to below 18 and, you know, so it's a, it's a finite set of retail and of, of, a, of a business, right? There's that's it. It's 18,000 dealers, right? Versus, you know, the retail market consumer market, it's 350 million plus consumers, you know, it's just a different, right. a different market. So it's finite. So that's why I think, you know, we've got a, a kind of a wall there that allows us um, and the DMS providers to kind of maintain that, that position in the marketplace with lot with not a lot of new entrants. So as far as smart VMA goes, I mean, uh, you know, I've, I'm not sure when I first interacted with smart VMA, but I had one of the first dealers in Michigan that signed up for it, uh, was an account of mine and, you know, just watching it through the years, how much it's changed and stuff. I mean, for one thing, I think, I think the team that you guys have now is as strong as it's ever been by a long shot. Yeah. Thank you. I, I agree. We got some, we have some great people on the team without question. Lauren, uh, you know, Jeff Hahn, Scott Martin, Zach Fox, just on, on that side of it. And then, you know, we've really, you know, we're as, as business environments change, you know, you know, Peter's having a lot of these guys learn smart VMA, you know, Dan Smith, Dale Smith, Tyler, um, all those guys are starting to learn. Mikey B is, is even getting involved, you know, and, uh, it's neat to see, you know, it really is. It's, you know, um, tough times, you know, really give people an opportunity to expand on their horizons. And I think everyone's excited about it. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's been really fun. Yeah. Just from a, like a user standpoint, um, the setup process, you know, back in like, you know, 2011, 2010, what, you know, that rank, that time period, it was mm-hmm. grueling. And now it's so easy, you know, like the, we've been doing a lot of the, the, uh, remote setups hmm. here, you know, and it's, it's as simple as, you know, getting Zach, Zach Fox or, uh, or Scott Martin on the, on a conference call with the dealer for 45 minutes to an hour. And man, you've got functional menus that you can be, you can be presenting to customers. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, so when I, when I first came on board, you know, um, and, you know, Lauren Peterson is probably, you know, one of the brightest guys I've met. Um, and, um, and he and I went out and did a, did a couple installs, uh, in color in Denver, Colorado. I think there were, there were AutoNation stores in fact. And, um, and he was taking me through the process and stuff. And, you know, I, I, got to thinking about my days with Reynolds, especially our service price guys team. And I'm like, man, I, we seem like we're spending an awful lot of time on these installs doing this, doing the specification process. And I, I kind of told Lauren and I said, I said, what do you think about maybe doing some of this remotely? You know? And he's like, yeah, I guess we could probably look at that. (laughs) And then I told him what we did at Reynolds at Reynolds for our service price guys, which is, you know, again, it's when you're talking about the complexity, our menus are complex. Do not get me wrong. They are, they are complex, but um, you know, service price guides from Reynolds was all, all repair and all maintenance and all quick services. 
So the, the complexity of that product was even greater. In our remote spec setups were 10 plus hours. Oh, God. Yeah, 10 plus hours. But that was the only way we did it. We never did it on site. And then our training on top of it was all done remotely as well. And, you know, at the height of, of our service price guides, we had 50, I think 56% of our dealers had our service price guide solution. So, and when we were at a, a max of 10,000 plus, we had like 5,600 dealers. And we did that all remotely. And so when I talked to Lauren about that, we put put the game plan together for the remote specification process. And, um, and you know, you're kind of living proof, you know. Um, it is a complex install. When you get into the menus, it seems really simple and straightforward. It decodes the VIN and you can present the menu. Well, the devil's in the details, right? So you got to know where the mapping needs to take place in the menu and specifically for these models, you know, and um, as, as somewhat easy as that sounds, it's still complex and it, it takes some time and expertise to set that up as you've seen, and really to expect the distributor to do that, unless you've got, you know, 10, 20 or more accounts, <clears throat> it's not something that the distributor is going to be doing every day. So this has really become kind of a, um, a, a stopgap or a, or a value add for the distributors so that they don't have to worry about that, but they can hand that off to us. They can focus on what they need to focus on, which is really training the, the advisors, training the techs and making sure that they're prepared, ready and able and confident to sell, you know, the BG products and services and let us and our team kind of focus on the smart VMA and, and bring them along. So talking about setup, um, I think that one of the most important parts of, of building the menu process is, you know, how services are packaged together. And sometimes, you know, I think, I think in the past I've, I've built menus that were destined to fail because of how the packages were set up and stuff like that. I know there's kind of a, you know, it seems to be like there's two schools of thought. Uh, West Coast guys build like very heavy packages, you know, high price, a lot of value added items. Um, and then it seems like some of the East Coast guys, you know, they keep them stripped, bare bones, you know, basic service focused. Uh, what, what's been your experience with it so far? And what do you what do you recommend for most dealers? Well, anyway, it's, well, first off, let me just kind of take the West Coast, East Coast um uh, scenario there. So as you were saying that, you know, it just, it just dawned on me, what a, what a football analogy, perfect for it, right? Uh, <laughs> West coast offense versus East coast offense, you know, kind of that, that whole philosophy. And it really is like that. It's interesting that, you know, especially, you know, Fleming and, and his, and their team out there with Juan Baez leading that, um, they are, they are really West coast offense, pretty aggressive, um, but, but, you know, they did that over time. They didn't do that right out of the chute. Right. Um, but you know, the dip, the difference for them is that they've been doing this for a long time. They've got it programmed into them, uh, into the dealers to drive it that way. And, um, and it works well for them and, and neither one is wrong. Uh, so the East coast might be, you know, a little less aggressive, but at the end of the day, we're always using that typically using that base West coast menu 
as the starting point, right? And then we we begin to strip it down from there. But my my overall philosophy when it comes to menu sales is um, is one of uh, you know it, it's kind of like a multi point inspection, Casey. You know, um, you, you got to get a customer accustomed and comfortable with the process and understanding how maintenance. Uh, works and should work uh, to their to their benefit and their their vehicle's benefit. And so like a multi-point inspection, you know, when you do it, I used to always remember when I would be out there presenting to dealers or, or even talking to advisors or technicians or individual service directors. And I'd say, hey, man, just like menus, it's 100% of the time a customer gets a multi-point inspection. And I can't tell you it's just like menus. I can't tell you how many how many advisors um, will tell me or told me then I'm not going to do a multi point inspection on a customer that came in for their first or second or third service. And I said, yes, you are. And the reason is, and the reason is, you want them accustomed to that. You know, it's the old philosophy of it's green today, Mr. Leary, right? Hey, Mr. Leary, it's your second visit. It's green today. Just so you know, things are going to begin to wear down, right? On your next visit, we might find a yellow. We might even find something that's red, which means that we didn't take care of that today. Something's failed on the vehicle, but likely it'll be yellow and that's a future service and all that and so on. So you get the customer thinking in that in that vein. And, and likewise, the same thing unfolds for our menus. You know, I'm not going to clobber a customer on a on a preferred menu when they're coming in for their first or second service visit, right? If they're at 6,000 miles, 10,000 miles, even 15,000 miles, I'm going to, you know, probably quite frankly, I'm going to be maybe MOA and maybe the fuel additives. And that's about it. Right. Um, and then once I get them into the really getting, you know, into the twenties, certainly the thirties, that's when I'm really going to begin to leverage the, the full suite uh, of our product arsenals, which I call the power of seven, by the way. So you got the oil, oil additives, the fuel additives, and you got the power five, right? Which we now mm -hmm. turn into the power eight, but get, get just hold on for a second. So you guys power five, so you got transmission, cooling, drive line, uh, power steering that's there. And then of course, uh, what did I miss? Casey? I was in drive line break. Break, yep, and break. So probably didn't do that in the proper order, but um, you get the drift. And now I think we're going to add this eighth component and then bring me back around because I'll, I'll go off on a tangent. And then we're going to add the eighth com component, which is really brought by the pandemic. And the eighth component is going to be the um, is going to be something around san uh, sanitizing the, the customer's vehicle inside and out. Right. That's going to be a huge component. We're already seeing it through Friggy Fresh. And everything that's going on with that, and uh, I know the the guys in the lab are working on something incredible. Um, I've heard about it. I can't say any more about it. You probably know more than I do, but <laughs> even better and more exciting around that eighth component called uh, I don't know if they want to call it sanitiz sanitizing or you know um, um, germ free or whatever you want to call it. But anyway. Um, so, so my point is when I, when I get into the thirties, that's when I begin to leverage that full arsenal. And then that's when, if you will, 
the West Coast model really becomes appealing to me. That's when I leverage what what Juan and his team and and and, and quite frankly, the the C4 has done this as well, uh, where they begin to leverage that. And and that too is, you know, one of the, the big missing elements here, which is I think our our you know crown jewel, if you will, and Mary, you owe me if you're listening, crown jewel to this is our lifetime protection plan. You know, <laughs> it's a little bit of a tragedy that not enough people know about it. And a lot, a lot of people, a lot more people are beginning to recognize it because of smart VMA and the way we position it. But man, I leverage the heck out of, out of the lifetime protection plan because at 30,000 miles, you know, let's face it. I, I was just talking to a, a Ford customer yesterday um, in, uh, in Minneapolis, right? And I said, time to leverage it, man, is you're at, at 36,000 miles, that warranty is up. That's when I fully leverage the, the lifetime protection plan. And then I tell the customer and I'll tell, I tell the, the advisors, I'm like, hey, man, warranty is about ready to expire. That means the manufacturer's out. They're not going to take care of one part or one piece of labor on your vehicle. You are now on your own. However, <laughs> I have a lifetime protection plan that will cover your entire vehicle from your engine, right? To your fuel systems, to the drive line, to the brake, to the power steering, if you have it right. Um, and, and the cooling system. So I, I've got every, in transmission, I've got every, oh, and I don't know if we're going to cover this, but maybe even the sanitization of, of, of your vehicle, but all of that comes into play. And, you know, the next thing you know, you're talking to a customer about $24,000, up to $24,000 of coverage on their vehicle that they otherwise wouldn't have without our lifetime protection plan. So that that's, that's my philosophy. And that's how I kind of leverage it into, into the dealerships. And it really, from an advisor's per perspective, it really takes their guard down immediately because you know, every advisor wants to tell you that every customer that comes in the front door is either a lease customer or a prepaid customer, or they only have 10,000 or 15,000 miles on it. And I can't sell them all these services. And I say, I understand that. I'm not asking you to do it. Just talk to them about the fuel and the, and the engine oil, right? But when they get into that 30 plus, that's when we turn it on because that's where the lifetime protection plan comes in. And that's where these services really begin to make a difference for this customer and really prolongs the life of their vehicle. So that's kind of my take on it. Probably long winded as it may have been, but. <laughs> so, so basically, you know, early on in the customer's, you know, relationship with the dealer, low mileage intervals, we're, we're presenting menus and MPIs, you name it because we're we're trying to build value in That's those right. tools right because we want them to trust that inspection sheet that menu when we get further along in the uh in the in the vehicle's lifespan we're trying to educate the customer embrace them for what's coming so they don't have sticker shock they're uh they're expecting to yeah. to deal with the maintenance package and then um yeah, I mean, it really at the, by the time you know thirty, forty thousand miles rolls around, where you know we're actually looking at selling them a pretty good sized package. You know, we've been bracing them for that investment for for probably a couple of years at that point. It's kind of what it seems like to me. Yeah, that's right. You're, you're yeah, you're you're really building the value, but you know, again, the 
the the best way to do it is is that I call it the multi point inspection. You're just you're you're just making the customer aware that you know it's it's going to come to a point in time where you're going to have to make some additional investments in your vehicle and and maintaining it just like you would at the dentist when you go and get your teeth cleaned every six months. Same idea holds true here. Get your car in here every six months and let's make sure we're taking care of it. And I think customers, you know, appreciate it if you, if you start them out that way. You know, it's when you clobber them when they've never heard about your maintenance program or your lifetime protection program. And then the next thing you know, someone's trying to hammer them on a, you know, a $2,200 maintenance bill. <laughs> it's the first time they've seen it. Right. It's, t- it's tough to walk away with from that scenario. Even if they purchase it, it's tough to walk away not feeling skeptical or taken yeah. advantage of. Yeah. So I know that it, you know, I've always had, you know, I've, I've had a lot of trouble getting menus, the process of presenting menus up and rolling, you know, in, in the past and stuff. I mean, there's, there's certain stores where it's, it's just tough to change that culture. Yeah. Um, do you see the, uh, you know, like the, the idea of like presenting those menus at early intervals? Uh, do you see that as, as important in terms of getting the advisors to just fall into the routine? Like if they, if they fix, think up reasons not to present a menu to these certain customers, does that spread? I mean, is that the beginning of the end of your program? Yeah. So, uh, you know, a couple of different points there, Casey. So for, so for shop, you got to make it, you got to make something a habit, right? And a habit, you know, a lot of different philosophies, whether it's 13 times in a row, 30 times in a row, what, what have you it took me, when I was training for my triathlons, when I first started out, it took me nine months of flip turns to, to where I could swim in an indoor pool. Um, and I got the habit of doing a flip turn for a mile and a half, right? It took me nine months to get there. Some of us take longer than others in some cases, but ultimately that's, that's the idea is, is that you want to get them comfortable presenting and, and again, not not pushing the sale, but just making the customer aware, especially when you get in early on. Like I always say, a customer that comes in for oil change, welcome them. Hey, thanks for coming in today for the oil change and your maintenance today that's due is X and shut up, right? Let the customer make the decision, right? Um, so, so yeah, I think it's important that you do that. But here, here's the other thing. I, I just, I wrote, um, I wrote an article for the blender about um, for our distributors, um, and I, I what did I call it? I called it um, no making making smart BMA part of your success formula. And you know we've got a lot of a lot of really bright distributors out there. Um, you know we got some that that do it without smart BMA, and we got some that do it with smart BMA. Um, but but to me, the the success formula for that and really creating more of a culture. Um, and, and it really does have to start with, with management. And, um, in, in the article, I, I talk about the most successful implementations we've had is when you get that dealer principal, general manager, and the fixed operations manager to help you kick off the meeting. Right. Um, and when the advisors and the technicians, and oh, by the way, it's not, you know, kickoff meetings, not just for the advisors, the best way to do it, uh, is, is really to get the entire team together, right? So you got to probably start off a little earlier in the morning. A lot of people don't like that. But for this for the success that you want to drive, which can be the difference between 
for a rep, right? I think the difference between a million plus year, which I know we got probably 20 plus people doing that now, which is fantastic, but it's really being the difference between a million dollar guy and not, right? And mm-hmm. and to me, if we can get the dealer principal, the general manager, and the fixed operations director there and help us kick off that meeting and they're all behind it and supportive of it, that's that's step one. And then step two is just, again, making sure that the 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 dealer and the and the GM are holding his their people accountable as well as that fixed operations director and just keep it in front of their face. Right. And then once that 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 understanding that that management is watching and that the expectation is that they present every time. That's where success begins. Right. It doesn't happen necessarily if especially if we don't have management support of it. You know, if we got a, a fixed operations manager that isn't holding their people accountable, the likelihood is maybe you'll get one service advisor to be successful with it because they're just going to be successful no matter what. But ultimately, that's that's where the rubber re- meets the road is the is getting management to support it and hold people accountable. So with any BG program, you know, accountability is a big component of it being successful, right? I mean, really with anything in the dealership. BG aside, mm-hmm. uh, you work with a lot of different sales reps that you know have great smart VMA stores. What what role do do the most successful sales reps play in that culture of accountability? I mean, what are they doing to keep the 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 key drivers nose to the grindstone on the menu yeah, process? It's a, it's a great question. Uh, where we see the most success is is reps that are that are literally in there every week. Um, and, and they are, they are in there as a support mechanism, a, as a cheerleader, as a, as a coach, uh, if you will. Um, but ultimately they're there to hold them accountable because at the end of the day, they know that rep, that individual rep knows that if he can, if he can drive accountability in that store, um, and, and it can be as simple as like, like Baez has, he, he's got his, his team trained. Um, when they walk into a store, they know the first question that's coming out. Right. And, you know, and, it, and it's, they're looking at their smartphone app. They're looking at what's been presented. They're looking at what's been accepted. And then they're talking to them about, Hey man, and, and not a negative way, but they, they look at them and they say, Hey man, if we could get just three more sales from you today, here's your spiff amount. Now let's look at that for the, for the week, the month, the year, look at that, look at the numbers there. And it's those, that kind of repetition in a, in a friendly, um, friendly kind of environment, but, a, but still accountable, but with some positive messaging behind it. That's, that's where I see the most success in our dealerships is when we have the BG reps doing that kind of, that kind of follow-up. And again, man, I mean, it, it's the difference. I, I, I mean this, right? I think it's the difference between a rep having a million dollar a year and not. Right. So, I mean, you're not, you know, as a BG rep, like you're probably not going to be swinging a big stick in the store, but you can, you can talk to people, you can hold them accountable by, by just, tracking their progress, talking to them about it, and constantly reminding them what's in it for them. 
right? I think that's a big part of it too, is yeah. like yeah. advisors don't always, you know, we'd like to think that they all know the math behind what, what they get out of selling a menu package. But I've heard that some of the guys out there, you know, especially at launch, they'll, you know, they'll literally like print a sold menu and total up the spiff amount for the advisor just to put it in front of them and say, Hey man, you just made $15 with that menu package. Yeah, no, that's, and that's a great point. So that, that's another piece of the success formula. And, um, and we call it's called the high five walk around or walk through. And so, um, in, in a, you know, I'll call it West coast, <laughs> West coast philosophy, but, um, that one kind of came from the West coast and, and the, the idea behind it is, is, and you kind of do it, you know, it depends on, you do it whenever you get the first sales is ultimately what you do it, but you want it to be on a fairly good size menu. So you don't want it on a, a customer that's probably got 20,000 or even 30,000 miles. You want a typically a higher mileage vehicle where you can legitimize and sell and, and create some value around the, um, uh, you know, maybe doing four or five or more services, but man, when you do that, you take that, that advisor and just like you said, beautifully, uh, just like you said, and you, you write down, you know, what was sold, then you spip it out for them, you circle it, and then you high five them and you say, let's go, let's go talk to the technician, you know, and you go and you talk to the technician and you're like, Hey man, look what this guy just sold. That's for you. Right. And this is your spiff and you circle that. Right. And then you get them to think and you tell these two guys that you're standing there with and you say, now let's talk about the number of ROs that are going through this business today. Right. Let's call it, let's call it 15. Right. That's kind of the magic number for an advisor. They ought to be doing about 15, no more than that, I believe in a day, right? Technician, six, eh, depends on their skill level, maybe maybe eight if they're really, a, really, really efficient. And you then you say, okay, now what if, what if we were able to take that $15 spiff that you just got on those services or maybe $20 spiff, I don't know, 15. And for the advisor, let's say we got that just on, gosh, do the math here with me, Casey. If we did that on $15 times half their ROs, let's just call it eight, that's $120 a day. And I get Huge. $120 a day. And then they look at me and they're like, oh. And then I say, there's 25 days in a working week. That's $3,000 a month. I know that sounds crazy, but that's the potential. Right now, even if you get half of that, that's $15, $100 a month, right? And you do the same for the technician. And then you extrapolate that out for an annual payoff. And, and the dollars become kind of insane, but that that becomes the new target. That becomes the new goal. And so you do that. And then that whole time that we do that, we, we tell them about the beauty of, of pairing services, and I don't know who came up with this. I, I love the the rim process too, and I think those two kind of combine in some way or another. But but this whole pairing of, of services to me is is kind of it, it it really gave me the green light. But but when we do that, we say now let's talk about what was sold here, right? Now we 
we got a couple of, we sold the cooling system and, and that's great. And we did the, the full uh, cooling system exchange. We did the, we did a brake job, but we didn't sell the brake uh, service exchange and we didn't sell stop squeal. So when you see this, Mr. Advisor and Mr. Technician or Miss, Miss, Mr. or Mrs., uh, think about pairing those services. Everything that you do has a pair, right? And you start talking to them about that. And then once you've done that and you've had that conversation, they all agree that's the right way to look at things. So when they're doing their multi-point inspection, the technician, right? And he sees break. The first thing he's thinking is, how do I pair a break exchange in there? Do I need to include stop squeal in there, right? When I'm when I'm doing any kind of oil change, I'm making sure that I've got MOA in there. If I'm at 15,000 miles, am I thinking, even though the fuel isn't in there, do I need to be thinking about that in terms of my recommendation, right? And so on. The list goes on and on. My point is, you start talking about the pairing of services, and they all start nodding their head. They, they all come to the realization that, yeah, that makes sense. That's an easy way to bring these things together, not only for, for the advisor and the technician, but for the parts guy as well, because they have responsibility on their end. The way the parts makes money is for every part that goes over that counter and into that technician's hands, that's money. That's money for those parts guys. That's how they get paid. So when we go over there, we high five the, the technician and the advisor, and then we bring the team over to the parts department and we say, hey guys, here's what happened. Look what was sold on this ticket, right? If they didn't use our menus to sell that, these parts would have never crossed this counter. And therefore, you would have never been paid on any of these parts. Now, what so, was sold, right? Sorry. So then we talk about the pairing of services and the brakes and cooling and drive. Anyway, you get the drift, right? But we get them all thinking in that same thing. And, and we tell it's the responsibility of each of these individuals to question each other and and hold each other accountable to think about pairing the services. So when it when the tech brings his brake job over and it doesn't have stop squeal or it doesn't have a brake fluid exchange, it's up to that tech, that parts counter person to, to say, "Hey man, why didn't you put the or or maybe we should put the uh, the stop squeal on there? Maybe maybe do the brake fluid exchange, right?" So just getting everyone on that same page, I think, creates a culture of of driven collective um, sales. It's a thing of beauty. Okay, I went way too yeah, long. Yeah, that. <laughs> no, that's great. I think I've, that's a that's a powerful insight on again that culture of accountability is like it goes a lot further than just holding the advisor's feet to the fire. It's getting everybody to understand the value of the process and what following that means to them at the end of the day. So uh, that's, that's a good point. And that's something I don't think I've done a good job of in the past is like, you know, all of our time is spent focusing on the advisors and what they get out of it and stuff. But ultimately like having the technicians and the parts guys, you know, send up a red flag when something isn't billed out correctly or, you know, the advisor didn't go the extra mile and sell a brake service or whatever it is. I mean, that, that makes a ton of sense. So the, uh, so you've, you know, training on menus is something that I think our, our thought process has evolved a lot on over the years, because I remember, you know, when, 
early on in, in smart VMA and, you know, my interaction with it, you know, we were building three tier menus. It's just like now, but the, the process of selling them that we preached was a lot different. You know, there was a lot of guys that, that recommended, you know, presenting the best package and just selling off of that rather than showing like a three tier menu and letting the customer choose between those packages. You know, they wanted you to start high and work your way down one service at a time, almost like a rim presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't hear as much of that anymore. I hear a lot more of guys just saying, you know, hey, look, keep it simple, keep it easy for the advisor, put the options in front of them, and then, you know, make the customer choose which they want. Right. What, what do you see as being a, the most realistic model? Because, of course, not everybody's an aggressive advisor. And as much as we'd like them to be, some people are just never going to be comfortable, you know, hard selling some of these options. Yeah, it, I think it's 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 really dependent, um, Casey, on the skill set of the advisor. And and I think you've you've got to be cognizant of that. Um, so the example is. Um, I remember I was one of the, I think one of the first installs I, that I did on my own was uh, at a Mercedes store down in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale. And when I say on my own, just, I didn't have, I didn't have my, my training wheels with me. I didn't have Lauren Peterson with me or, uh, <laughs> or any of those guys. But, um, um, I, I remember talking to the advisor about it and, and uh, I said, so, so when you present the menus, do you print all three out, um, and then you and then you present all three to your customer? How, how how do you do that? And he looked at me kind of crazy, and he's like, he's like, he's like, dude, are you kidding me? I, I sell preferred only, and if I need to step it down, I'll, I'll take them take items off the preferred. But I've been in this business for thirty years. This is a Mercedes Benz customer they want to take care of their car. So they deserve the best and that's what I provide them. So I start at the preferred and I never use the, um, the value or the minimum ever. And so it's, it's all based on, you know, the experience and the confidence level of an advisor in my mind. And you just got to be cognizant of that. So it's not a, a one one size, uh, um, sales process, if you will, or, or presentation style fits all. I think you've got to, you've just got to know the individual you're working with. And, and, you know, sometimes you can, you can take a guy that isn't that confident and you can build his knowledge and he can, he can move from presenting all three at once to where he, he now maybe presents just the preferred and the value. Right. And then he, he never presents the minimum, which is basically the OEM. Right. So all different ways to do that. So I think you just got to look at and understand the individual uh, and the experience level that you're dealing with. So another thing I wanted to ask you, because, okay, so when I was in Michigan and this whole thing was just kind of getting started, you know, we had a guy there that did a lot of the, the sales presentations and some of the setups and stuff. And his, his skill level with it was, was questionable at best, you know, but, um, you know, one of the things that, that I learned over the years is that, you know, too much customization can be a negative thing, right? You know, you get, 
you get managers that when you tell them, hey, look, this can be whatever you want it to be. Any any option you want, anything you want, we'll rearrange it, we'll fix it, whatever. And and so I've kind of learned like, you know, when that question comes up, I say, hey, look, we've got, you know, some really successful stores around the country just like yours. What we'll do is we'll start with their menu packs and then we'll tweak a couple of things to make them fit what you guys want to do. And that's great, but sometimes you get a manager who's just, a hardliner and he wants it his way. Um, I'm dealing with a couple of these guys right now where I'm looking at the way that they're telling us to set up the packages. And I just, I know that they're not going to work well. You know, they're yeah. just not well set up. What do, what do you recommend doing in those situations? Cause I, I'm honestly, I'm at a bit of a loss with these guys. Yeah. So what, what I normally do there and you gotta be, you, know, you gotta tread the water fairly carefully at this moment. So what I normally do there is that I'll just say, okay, so, you know, we're taking our, our most successful customer based upon your make and franchise. And, and we're, we're going to, we're going to, you know, basically bring this forward into your store and we're going to modify it based on, on your labor times, your, your pricing, your parts pricing, et cetera, and kind of customize it from that perspective. Um, so I, I just want you to take a moment and I want, I want you to look at this guy's sales. And if it's not like RO size, right, I'll, I'll find one that is, you know, like RO size. I don't care about market. That to me is, is immaterial. Although we all hear that. Oh, my market's different. Well, it's not. We're all, we're all human beings and we all drive a car and we all need it maintained. Um, right. But anyway, so so that that's that's what that's what I look at doing um, is is I'll take that menu and then I'll I'll take their last quarter sales in terms of of, of, of menus and then I'll take this guy's and I'll just do it on units, right? Because the dollars are going to be different, right? Based upon you know um, if I got a West Coast guy or an East Coast guy and I've got somebody in 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 central uh kansas or in the middle of the country you know obviously your labor price is going to be significantly different right so you can't always do labor and parts but when you can do units and show the difference and just say so this is what this menu generates like size dealership right same franchise this the, the reason they were able to drive these numbers was because the way the menu was set up now I understand the way you want to do it, and that's that's good. I like that, but let's try it this way first, and then if we need to modify it, let's let's look at modify. But I think it makes sense to try it this way first. What do you think? Or wouldn't you agree? That's probably a better way to say that. So so leverage the success of another yeah, store. Le- absolutely. Compare them. Yes. Gotcha. I see. Yeah. Um, so kind of a broader, sense. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let, let someone's success speak for the, the result, you know, like yeah. the, rather than just you telling them what's best. Yeah. And, and I think, and I think you're out there too, is let's, let's use this one to begin with, get you guys started. And then if we need to modify it from there, it's not driving the results that we want, then, then we can look at tweaking it. But I think based upon the numbers I see, this probably makes the most sense. Wouldn't you agree? And then they'll probably come with you, but good. 
So kind of a broader question here, but, um, you know, I, I think we're like at NADA this year, I saw a bunch of, uh, you know, new kind of interesting technology that's being pitched to these dealers about the write-up process, customer interaction, handling communication. Um, and then, of course, you know, with all the COVID-19 stuff, I mean, even if this ends next week, the the repercussions of it are going to echo for a while, right? Yeah. What are some of the technologies that that you've seen that you're keeping your eye on? You think you're, we're going to see a lot more of in, in dealerships and on the drive in the future? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, a great point, and, and really timely. Um, so, so it's interesting because I'm actually speaking on that on Friday um, at 9:45 Eastern time on uh, for the fixed stops roundtable. So I don't know when this podcast is going to go, but it, it, I'm just going to do a little uh, advertisement for myself. Uh, yeah. But um, but anyway, I'm going to be speaking on that subject. Um, Exactly. And that is, you know, how this is an opportunity for all of us to reboot, right? And do the things that we know we should have been doing all along. And, and, and really that this pandemic as crazy as it sounds, I, I, I really think this is going to be a blessing in disguise. And I know that sounds crazy, but I think it's really allowing people to rethink whether it be rethink their family, rethink their relationships, quite frankly, it'll be interesting to see how <laughs> babies come out of this one, by the way. Um, <laughs> right. Right. To, uh, but, but to rethink about, about their businesses, right. Their employees and their customers. And so uh, when I say that, and just to your getting to your question from a technology perspective, I I'm calling this um, a, um, a frictionless service experience. And if you just think about it for a moment, what I mean by that is, is really having a service experience where you have zero physical interaction with a customer, right? And, you know, before this pandemic, that sounded insane, if not impossible, but let's face it, Amazon is living proof, right? That we can, that we can do that in, in almost any capacity quite frankly. And that people are hungry for it. Yeah, right. And people are hungry for it. And and um, and so when I thought about that and I started kind of building the presentation, I said, you know, that that really means for the inside of the dealership as well. There's no reason for these departments inside the departments of the departments themselves where they have to physically be in contact with each other. There, there's no reason for it whatsoever the technology is there right and and i and i and so in this presentation i I say to everyone i I say i want you to envision tomorrow where shelter in place is still the rule of the law but you're open for business and customers can come to you digitally not physically and your personnel will not interact with each other physically, but digitally. And and you will be amazed on how much more productive you will be. You will be amazed at how much more sales you will have, better profits you'll have, better retention you'll have, and better CSI. And so let me bring that back to a couple of key components about the technology side of it. So 
to your question, what do you see as the big movers and shakers? Mobility is is going to be is going to be big, but the big the biggest one is probably going to be self service kiosk and concierge pickup and delivery, front end and back end. That means mm. end service and and. So I talk about all of this, Casey, and, and the more I got into it, the more excited I got about the opportunity to, to really to have this pandemic be a catalyst of, of positive change for our dealers and an opportunity to reboot themselves and rethink how they do business from a customer perspective to an employee perspective. And, and, and really, I'm excited about this. I think, I think BG is at the cusp of really being able to do a lot of this stuff for our dealers, right? I mean, we're bringing, we've got the smart BMA and the menus, which is awesome. We got the new next gen coming out, but we've got kiosks coming, the self-service kiosk coming, right? We just met with Ray really? on the team last week. That thing's moving quickly, <laughs> quickly, right? And so, so all of those are, are, are big factors, but, but um, I just think that that's going to be the play. And that's going to be the, 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 the catalyst of change that I hope our dealers and our, our industry embrace because it's there, it's available and it can work. Oh man, that's exciting. I'm, I'm interested to see where that goes. That, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, but the, the, you know, I, I was talking to my girlfriend about the concierge service, right? And I said, Hey, I said, let me ask you a question. If if a dealership offered to um, pick your car up, take it to the dealership, work on it, and bring it back to you clean and sanitized inside with all the maintenance that you needed to do, and you had to pay a little extra to get it done, would you? And she looked at me and said, of course I would. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> And I said, what about your friends? And she said, of course they would, you know them. And, and this is the more I thought about it. And I, and I said, so what would, with a dealer that did that, let me ask you a question. And if they offered up their next appointment to you and scheduled it right then and there, when they delivered that car back to you, would you, would you schedule the next appointment based upon that service? Absolutely. I would. What? And I, and I said, so let me ask you this where would you buy your next car based upon that experience? And she said, that dealership. And so I think that, that Casey is the opportunity. And so when I look at the, the tragedy of, of the retention puzzle that, that we've been plagued with in, in the dealer retail space around service and retention, where in the 30 years that I've been in this business, we haven't moved the needle one percent it's still 70 percent defect post-warranty right i think this this is that moment that and i'm i'm excited to be part of it man that we're gonna we're gonna change that model we're gonna start to change it it might be five percent in the first three or five years right but then it's gonna be ten percent twenty percent fifty i mean that it's gonna be the ultimate way of doing business and how dealers will protect their customers. I, I really think that's, that's going to be the key. I think you're right, man. 
So in closing here, um, you know, there's a lot of reps that have been with BG for a long time. There's new guys out there. Uh, maybe they had a, you know, a, a negative experience with one of their dealers and VMA, or maybe it's just like, man, that's te- all that technology stuff's not my wheelhouse. It's outside my comfort zone, whatever it might be. Yeah. For the guys who have not embraced VMA or, um, you know, really done their due diligence on, on figuring it out, learning it so that they can represent to their customers. Uh, what, what do you recommend for those guys? I mean, is there, you know, a way that they can get in contact with someone with smart VMA, or do you have some basic like, uh, informational videos or anything that you guys do? How, how do, how do you recommend they get started? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. So thanks for asking that. So, so we've got at the literally on, on, um, dashboard, um, on the site out there, we've got, um, there, there's, there's four services that we offer now. Um, one is called the, the new launch. Um, and, and by the way, these are each of these components are at the, at each of our email taglines or email taglines, each of our signature lines. So where it says, Hey, thanks. And then Rob Leary, director of sales, right there next to my name, it has these, these, these four direct links. So they can, they can do that or they can go to dashboard. So the first point is, is that, um, if you need to, uh, if you want to launch a new customer, well, let me start here. Let me get back to your point. Sorry. So if you want to, if you want a demonstration, right. Of, of smart BMA or any of the smart BMA tools, whether it be menus, advisor, tech, what have you, whatever you want, you can go to that, that link and, and request demo. And that will send us a note and then we schedule a demo with you. You just give us two times and two dates. And then we'll normally fit it into one of those two dates and times. And then we'll schedule that uh, with your dealer and and we'll do an entire presentation for them over the web and works out great. And then we track that sales progress and all that. And then when it's time for come times for you to order for smart BMA, then you just go and right next to our, our, um, our name again is another link called called launch, right? Or new, I think it's called launch. Yeah, smart VMA launch. And you just select that that button, and then that takes you directly to a link where you order smart VMA for your customer, right? And then if you need additional training for your customer, there's another link that says training. And then if you need a relaunch, meaning that hey, you had service management management turnover, right? Or um, they they really want to start using it and they've changed their pricing and we want to do a relaunch, then you do relaunch and that will get us started into a relaunch. So there's all those avenues to do that. But, but suffice to say, to begin with, I would recommend that from a distributor standpoint, um, I would highly recommend get your team involved into a team meeting, let myself or one of my team members or Lauren or any of his team members uh, take you through an entire presentation of smart BMA menus and explain how it works. Let us show you some of the success stories that we've had, right? And and start there and then have your reps go out and kind of preach the good gospel, right? If you will, <laughs> don't, don't try to sell it yourself, right? Just, just say, Hey, we've got a tool called smart BMA menus. It's a digital menu. Some of the largest dealer groups, individual uh, stores, mom and pops all over the country are using this and really driving some numbers. Here's some of the results for a franchise like you. Um, 
we can set up a demonstration this week if you'd like and and see if that's a fit for you if that makes sense right and that's all they need to do and then we'll we'll do the webinar for them um and um and get things rolling but that that's as simple as it can be but at, at the end of the day um for for those those um reps that that feel like they're maybe late to the party or that they just don't let let like technology right use this pandemic as an opportunity to be the catalyst of change for yourself i, I promise you you won't disappoint be disappointed learning something new can be exciting right and um and when you learn something new and it provides even more money in your pocket and for your family there's nothing better absolutely yeah and guys again take it from me you know i've i've watched smart bma evolve over the years and um you know you don't have to be a technology expert you don't have to yeah, be yeah. responsible for the back end and all the setup and building menus and stuff. You don't have to know every corner of the program nowadays. Um, really what, what uh, the new system for setups and things like that allows you to do is just be a salesman, just, mm. you know, reinforce the process and let Rob and his, you know, his team of, of specialists handle all that, you know, the, the back end technological side of it. But Rob, thanks so much for being here, man. I really appreciate you, you know, sparing some time for me today. And again, uh, can you give out the details on your fixed ops roundtable? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, first and foremost, uh, thanks, and it's been an honor to to be on your podcast. I, I think this is a stroke of genius by you. A lot of kudos go to you for this, and uh, I, I've learned a ton in listening to your podcast. So thank you for for putting this together for the for the company and all of our reps out there. Um, but yeah, so the uh, fixed stops roundtable is going to be at 9:45 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, I believe um, I believe Peter put out a message to all of the distributors, and I believe it's going to be on um, dashboard as well. If not, um, I'll make sure it's out there. But it's going to be 9:45, and obviously, it's not just me. Uh, there's a host of speakers. I'm kicking it off, but there's a host of speakers after me, and there's going to be some really cool things. Uh, uh, Brian, um, God, I forget his name, Benstock um, from uh, Paramus uh, Honda is a dealer uh, out of uh, Queens, New York. And man, you want to talk about a mover and shaker and some of the things that he's done. If you hear his story um, about how uh, a Honda dealer from Queens became the servicing Honda and Acura servicing dealer for all of Manhattan. He got the OEMs to, to not put any more dealership, not put another Honda or Acura dealership in Manhattan. And now he remotely, concierge service, by the way, services all Honda and Acura customers in New York City. What a story. So, wow. you know, my story is a good one, but this dude's whoo, really good. So, I encourage people to uh, to go and listen to that. Awesome. Well, thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Good luck with your roundtable. And uh, yeah, man, keep killing. All right. Thank you, man. See you, Casey. Wow.